For most of my life, one of my greatest desires has been to witness the return of the Lord Jesus. And indeed, we're seeing a great end-time move of God leading up to the rapture. Even many Israelis are watching for the imminent appearing of their Messiah and are continually planning to rebuild the house of God, the temple in Jerusalem. God is indeed in our times restoring everything the Jewish people have lost for the past 2,000 years. And why is he favoring them at this time? The Lord is building Jerusalem, and it's because the New Testament teaches in Romans 11:29 that the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable, meaning God's gifts and calling can never be withdrawn. His promises to Israel are being fulfilled, and we can be a part of it if we have the vision. And although we are daily engaged in a lot of spiritual warfare, God also sends angels to help us. The Jerusalem Channel is made with the support of you, our viewers. Thank you for watching. Shalom, I'm Christine Darek. The joy of the Lord is our strength, says the Bible, and it's so important to maintain our joy in a world that's populated by so many miserable people. We're weary of their council culture and telling us what we can say and think. As columnist Melanie Phillips wrote in a recent column entitled, A World in Ruins, people, especially on the left, are increasingly filled with anxiety joylessness, rage, and neuroticism. They claim to want to improve conditions for the working class, but at the same time, they regard views expressed by the lower social orders as a mortal threat to their own socially liberal beliefs. Melanie wrote, they imagine conspiracies at every turn against their noble goal of the perfection of the world and they're constantly looking over their shoulder for traitors and backsliders in their own ranks. Suspecting plots everywhere, they're absolutely paranoid and regard anyone who dissents from left-wing ideologies as an enemy to be obliterated. Yet in this fallen, beleaguered world, God is mercifully, relentlessly still at work, bringing about His eternal purposes. Throughout my years of ministry in the Holy Land, I've been privileged to speak on behalf of many evangelicals who follow the Bible and who therefore understand the timeline of Bible prophecy and comprehend why God has resurrected the state of Israel in fulfillment of many Bible prophecies. Because of our faith in God and in the faithfulness of the sure promises in this word, we evangelicals say to Israel's bloodthirsty enemies who plot to wipe Israel off the face of the map, they must first be able to knock the God of Israel off his throne in order to achieve their diabolical wishes. But of course, it will never be possible to dethrone the Almighty. Since the Iranian mullahs came to power in 1979, they have openly denied Israel's right to exist and have called brazenly for the Jewish state's eradication. 
it appears their God is not the same God as the God of Israel. And recent news that Iran and Saudi Arabia have agreed to reestablish relations took many policymakers by surprise, and it's seen by some as potentially casting a shadow over the possibility of Israel and Saudi Arabia progressing in their relations. The Iran-Saudi deal was brokered by China. As aggressive as the non-nuclear Iran has been in the past under the rulership of its mullahs, imagine how much more aggressive and eminently nuclear Iran could be. Undoubtedly, Iran's advancement towards possessing a nuclear weapons arsenal is most disturbing for Israel. There were two previous times when Muslim countries attempted to develop nuclear capability, only to have Israel derail their efforts before either reactor could become a serious threat. In 1981, Israel destroyed an uncompleted nuclear reactor in Iraq with a daring air mission known as Operation Babylon. The surprise Israeli airstrike destroyed the unfinished Iraqi nuclear reactor located south of Baghdad. And in 2007, Israel did the same thing to a reactor in Syria that was probably being built on behalf of the Iranians. Now, just to put the danger in perspective, we also need to remember a statement by Iran's former Supreme Leader Ayatollah Khomeini made at a time when Tehran's secret nuclear program was underway. Khomeini stated that a clear goal of Islam is to establish world domination over all other religions, along with Israel's complete destruction. He said the goal of the destruction of Israel must take precedence over any fears of retaliation for Iran's acts of aggression, regardless of what those actions may involve. So Khomeini put his own fanatical goal of another holocaust over and above Iran's own national interests. He stated, We do not worship Iran, we worship Allah. Patriotism is just another name for paganism. Then he added, I say let this land, Persia, Iran, burn. I say let Iran go up and smoke, provided Islam emerges triumphant in the rest of the world. That is the level of fanaticism that indeed exists in this world. Thank God you must know his plan is for Jesus to return and to put this world right for a thousand years. Prophetically speaking, we can say with much certainty that Israel shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. And the law shall go forth from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Amen. At this point in time, politicians and diplomats still discover that their coalitions and alliances are often doomed to failure. But alliances of Bible believers with God's covenant Jewish people cannot be broken due to God's immutable covenants with Israel. God said plainly concerning Israel in Genesis 12:3, I will bless those who bless you and curse down to the individual whoever curses you. After the turn of the millennium in the first decade of the year 2000, we held five Jerusalem assemblies for Christians in the Israeli parliament together with the Knesset Christian Allies Caucus. And these breakthrough convocations were not without opposition, as you can imagine. 
even though there was much concern behind the scenes of Christians praying and worshiping in the Israeli Knesset, I encouraged leadership to persevere with these assemblies, of which I was co-chair, despite the criticisms. Many still do not understand the bigger picture of how God favors Jews and Christians to cooperate with one another and to have each other's backs. It's not just the Jews who are persecuted. Even at this moment, tragically, Christians are being slaughtered, and much of the world has turned a blind eye. In Nigeria, Christians face unthinkable horrors at the hands of jihadists. Christians are gunned down as they worship. Pastors are burned in their homes. Last year, in Nigeria alone, more than 4,000 Christians were killed, and another 2,300 were abducted, including defenseless children. And in Afghanistan, the Taliban is directly telling Christians, we will find you and we will kill your entire family. Afghanistan has been ranked the number one worst country for Christians in the entire world. The Taliban is responsible for cruel, inhuman, and degrading punishments of Christians. This is just evil personified, and true justice will be meted out at the second coming of Jesus. But in the meantime, we must not allow the world to ignore the immense suffering of Christians, as well as Jews. According to the American Center for Law and Justice, the Biden administration abandoned Christians in Afghanistan and removed key protections for Christians in Nigeria. In our ongoing spiritual warfare in this world, I'd say the beginning of the movement of Christian-Jewish alliances in the Middle East could be called a small spiritual Gideon's army. In the providence and timing of God, men like Pastor David Decker and my husband and I were granted the honor to help stage historic assemblies in the Israeli parliament, along with our worship leader, musician Roy Kendall, and others coordinated by Josh Reinstein, director of the Knesset Christian Allies Caucus. The work of God is never accomplished by great masses of people, but by visionaries. It was the visionary Theodore Herzl, supported by a prophecy-loving Anglican priest, William Heschler, who were God's instruments to resurrect the Jewish state in our lifetime. It was the visionary Eliezer ben Yehuda, who was God's instrument to revive Hebrew as a spoken language and not just a liturgical language. It was a visionary, Dr. Yuri Stern of blessed memory, and a young and brave immigrant from the United States, Josh Reinstein, who foresaw that Israelis and Christian allies must stand together in these dangerous days, and so they pioneered the Knesset's Christian Allies Caucus, of which my husband and I were privileged to be among the first group of Christian supporters. In those early days, many of our Orthodox Jewish friends, such as Rabbi Benny Ilan of Blessed Memory, Rabbi Michael Froom and Rabbi Yehuda Glick, and so many other influential Israelis, attended these Jerusalem assemblies. And in subsequent years, I've been amazed at how much has been achieved and how close alliances have become, having weathered so much together already. God's predetermined return of his people to the promised land has not been stopped or aborted despite promises broken by the British, despite the avalanche of anti-Israeli UN resolutions, despite Iran's murderous threats, 
and so many acts of terrorism. Although Satan tries to destroy God's olive tree, even during the Holocaust, the olive tree's holy roots have never been burned, so that today we can say emphatically, Om Israel Chai, the people of Israel live. Their holy roots are the biblical roots of the wild, uncultivated olive branches from among the Gentile nations that have been mercifully grafted into the cultivated family tree of God. Think about that. The big miracle isn't that individual Jews can receive revelation and a saving knowledge of the Lord, but rather the bigger miracle is that Gentile branches from all the wild and unsaved olive tree nations can be grafted into the Jewish olive tree. That is, using the tree analogy, contrary to nature. But in God's providence, it happens. As a result, the Gentile branches of God's cultivated live tree should be very humble and never try to lord themselves over the original natural Jewish branches. For it is the life-giving Hebraic roots of this olive tree which sustain the new grafted-in Christian branches and not vice versa. Therefore, evangelicals who cleave to the God of Israel and to his Messiah have been adopted into the family of God. The prophet Zechariah foretold this phenomenon in Zechariah 8.23. Ten men from all the nations will take hold of a garment of him that is a Jew and will say, We will go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. Absolutely, biblically speaking, the Almighty approves of Christian alliances with the Jewish people. The entire Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, clearly teaches us about God's great enduring love for the Jewish people, His chosen people, as stated by Deuteronomy 7.6. In the New Testament, there's no stronger affirmation of this truth than the contents of Romans chapter 11, which is the Apostle Paul's summation of the destiny and salvation of the nation of Israel. Amazingly, verse 11 explains that one of God's reasons that Gentiles now experience salvation through Israel's Messiah is simply to provoke the Jewish people back to God by jealousy. The analogy of Paul's argument is found in verses 17 to 29, where Paul describes two different olive trees. Only one of these trees is seen by God to be a natural cultivated tree, while the other tree is that wild olive tree. The cultivated tree represents Israel, and the wild, uncultivated tree represents the Gentiles. So in order to experience salvation, every Gentile must be born again and grafted into God's natural olive tree. It is only through salvation in Jesus, the Messiah, that Gentiles are able to be grafted into the olive tree of God. This tree, the forever family tree, consists of both redeemed Jews and redeemed Gentiles, comprising a new spiritual species in the earth, namely the one new man of Jew and Gentile grafted together. Additionally, it's important to say and to add that according to the New Testament, when evangelicals become born again, when, when we are grafted into God's tree of salvation, we're no longer technically Gentiles. Did you know that? We become former Gentiles according to the doctrines of election and grace. 
In Ephesians 2.12, we learn that we have been granted a new status by God. We've been grafted into what the New Testament calls the commonwealth of Israel. Now, this word commonwealth is very interesting. Its definition is a group of people united by a common interest. An example of the use of the word is the commonwealth of nations, simply referred to as the commonwealth, an association of 56 member states, the vast majority of which are former territories of the British Empire. When believers are said to belong to the commonwealth of Israel, it means we're united with Jewish brethren by a common biblical interest. Note that this word commonwealth is comprised of two words, common and wealth, or mutual benefit. Our love and support for the Jewish people is beneficial and unconditional in the same way that God's covenant with Abraham is unconditional. Born-again Christians often experience a sensation like we have truly come home when we visit the promised land. Many of us, and surely the members of my team feel this way, are as passionate as another former Gentile, Ruth, who declared in the Bible to her Hebrew mother-in-law, your people shall be my people and your God, my God. In the Bible account, Ruth, who lived in the nation of Moab, clung to Naomi when Naomi wanted to return to Judea. Ruth wouldn't let Naomi go as she followed her to the promised land. So also we cleave to our Jewish brethren and they're stuck with us. As a matter of fact, as the Hebrew prophet Elisha declared to Elijah, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, may the Lord deal with me ever so severely if nothing but death separates us. Only the rapture or death can temporarily separate us from our Jewish biblical family. You see, we owe them everything for giving us this word of God and the holy family of Messiah. And so we evangelicals must likewise be determined never to be separated again from our Jewish roots. There comes a moment, if you haven't done it already, when a Bible believer makes a quality biblical decision to step forward and to unreservedly commit ourselves to the people of God, just like Queen Esther did. Esther knew she was risking her life by standing up for the Jewish people, but nevertheless she resolved, if I perish, I perish. Esther decided to do the right thing to save her people, and we also must do the right thing for Jesus' sake. Now concerning the land of Israel, God says through the prophet Isaiah that your land will no longer be forsaken nor forlorn, but once again the land of Israel shall be called Beulah, meaning married. God marries Jews to the land, and because we former Gentiles belong to the same God of Israel, and because we are betrothed to the Jewish Messiah, Yeshua, we also feel an affinity with the land, and we greatly cherish our visiting privileges. In fact, every believer, if at all possible, should strive to visit the land of Israel and to walk where Jesus walked, because when you do, the Bible just comes alive. And when we visit, we also forge new alliances with the Jewish people and with our Arab brothers and sisters, who are also part of the fascinating landscape, and it's vitally important that we reach out to them and support them also as much as we can. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 9, 
Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Despite all the failures and atrocities of institutional Christianity and counterfeit nominal or apostate Christians, I do thank Israelis for opening their hearts to us and for taking the risk to engage with evangelical Bible believers. I don't exaggerate when I say that the Jerusalem assemblies that we held in the Israeli parliament at the turn of the millennium and now ongoing events such as Jerusalem prayer breakfasts bringing together Jews and Christians are all a miracle. Surely this is the Lord's doing and it's marvelous in our eyes when Jews and Christians pray together for the peace of Jerusalem. And may the God of Israel increase the anointing upon our gatherings. I believe these various assemblies have been helping to prepare the nation of Israel for when God takes up their national redemption during the future great tribulation period known as Jacob's trouble, also known as Daniel's 70th and final week of Jewish redemptive history prophesied in Daniel chapter 9. We live in a time when tragically the doctrine of the rapture of the church is rejected by so many professing Christians even though it's clearly taught in the scriptures. But when the great snatch happens, when the Lord evacuates his bride, every nominal in name only Christian who is left behind will either be further deceived or will have to decide not to take the dreaded mark of the beast that will be enforced by the future world dictator known as Antichrist. During this period, the God-fearing remnant in Israel will be protected and hidden by God from the wrath of the Antichrist. But not all of Israel will be immune from trouble as prophesied by a pastor recently at the Jerusalem prayer breakfast in Houston, Texas. Reverend Robert Mawari prophesied that if Tel Aviv does not repent for promoting itself as the sin city by the sea, it cannot expect to continue to receive God's protection even if Israel has the most sophisticated Iron Dome technology to eliminate incoming missiles. However, for all in Israel, in Judea, in Samaria, and elsewhere who put their trust in the Lord, He is a mighty Savior, as I've written about in my Bible prophecy book entitled, Appointment in Petra. Well, I believe in the power of the Lord and in the ongoing ministry of angels. In fact, according to Hebrews 1.14 in the New Testament, angels are sent to care for people who will inherit salvation. Also, according to Hebrews 13.2, many people have even shown hospitality to angels without being aware of it. We have a pastoral friend in Australia, Reverend Judah Eiling, who has traveled with our ministry teams in Israel and who recently recovered from a long hospitalization due to dehydration during the pandemic, and his testimony is reliable. His hospital experience deteriorated from bad to worse, but he testified how God had sent him an Israeli nurse to sing to him in Hebrew and prayed over him throughout the night. She changed his bed sheets when others had not, and this reminded me of one of my favorite verses in Psalm 41 and verse 3. The Lord will strengthen him upon the bed of languishing. Thou wilt make all his bed in his sickness. Judah wrote, She made my bed and she worked all night arranging everything for me. 
and you, God has sent this beautiful servant of God. I'll never forget her kindness. So I made a comment on his post. I said, are you sure she was not an angel? And Judah answered my question with another great testimony that I want to share with you to strengthen your faith. In another hospital experience that happened many years ago, he described an angel who was dressed like a doctor who always stood in the background during consultations. The angel doctor never said anything in front of the other doctors until they left the room. And then he refuted their prognosis and assured Judah that everything was going to be okay. One day, Judah prayed for God to move him to another room, and minutes later, the angel doctor walked in and moved him into a private room. That, of course, was a job for a hospital orderly, not a doctor. Well, soon hospital staff were in a panic because they couldn't find the missing patient. When they found Judah, he informed them that the doctor had made the move, but they said there was no such doctor. Judah described him and said he was always the third doctor during consultations. The staff looked at each other and shook their heads. There was no other doctor, they said. Judah never saw him again. So I want to emphasize that the Bible does say believers and those who are to obtain salvation will have ministering spirits and throughout eternity will be learning more about these incidents. As believers in Messiah, we must testify about Jesus, of his death, his burial, his resurrection, until he comes again. And now I want to come to the most important point, and that is to know that you have eternal life when you put your faith in Jesus. Jesus gives us direct access to the Father, and he taught us, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Amen. To believe in him means to put your trust in him, not in a religion, but in the one who kept the law perfectly. It's vitally important to make sure your heart's ready and that you know Jesus is Savior and believe that he did fulfill the law and the prophets because it's impossible for fallen sinners to keep the law entirely. But Jesus kept and fulfilled the law perfectly on our behalf. And when we believe in him, he imputes to every believer his perfect righteousness. That's a glorious exchange. What a Savior. Well, I enjoy sharing your questions and comments, so please feel free to visit through social media. I also invite you to check out our website at exploits.tv. You can click online to receive our weekly email, learn about our Holy Land teaching tours, and you can watch all of our videos 24-7. Also, don't forget, download our free Jerusalem Channel app to view our video library, and please subscribe to our Substack as well as to our Jerusalem Channel YouTube site. Until next time, I'll always be contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem. I'm Christine Darg, Maranatha, and Shalom. When you visit the Jerusalem Channel website, you can watch all our videos with closed caption subtitles. Select the closed caption logo at the bottom right corner of the video screen and select English.
our Jerusalem Channel Facebook page, you can select closed captions in English, Spanish, Portuguese, and Arabic. The Jerusalem Channel YouTube site has closed captions in English.